ladies and gentlemen. This podcast, Film Jerks, is truly one of the most spoiler-filled film podcasts ever recorded. It contains ridiculous opinions, which under no circumstances should be listened to by anyone that has a heart condition or anyone who is easily upset by film spoilers. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person, or parent of a young and impressionable child now listening, that you skip to the end of the podcast for our ratings and live your lives free of disagreeing with overtly opinionated people. You'll live longer. Film Jerks is a group where we, as a community, pick a film to watch, then discuss like little old ladies in a book club. Only our films have decapitations and nude slumber party pillow fights. If you wish to become part of the conversation and become a film jerk, go to the Facebook group and join. Film Jerks can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. Welcome to Film Jerks, the podcast where we discuss movies like little old ladies in a book club. Only our films have troll excrement and finger banging? Or no, finger blasting. Ah, I said it wrong. <laughs> Getting worse with it. I know. <laughs> what movie yeah. is this? <laughs> yeah, I was watching a different Willow. <laughs> it was Into Willow, I think is what it was called. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I'd never uh, thought of it that way. I'm sorry. Now I will never look at Billy Barty the same way in this movie. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> You're welcome. I, of course, am your bowtie jerk, and with me I have a, f- a wonderful panel of jerks. Let's start out with our first jerk. Of course, it's our lovely lipstick jerk. How are you tonight? I'm wonderful. How about yourself? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very fantastic. Uh, I can't hear out of one ear, but other than that, I'm fantastic. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, it's all good. It's all good. Uh, it, it probably refers back to the finger blasting, but that's an entirely <laughs> different story. Yeah, you need to wear protection when you do that. Yeah. Safety glasses, too, my friend, please. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, apparently, that is a thing. So, And you can hear by the laugh that our night keep jerk is uh, also returned with us. How are you tonight? I'm fine. I need a cooler name, but I'm fine. The ladies, y'all get to wear lipstick and stuff, and I could do that, but then I'm, it's frowned upon, especially when they find out you have a child and wear li- Yes, I know. You're already oh, no. covered in bacon grease and powdered sugar. Okay. <laughs> one, one of my friends we called the geriatric goth, so you could either be that if you want to wear the oh! lipstick. Oh, goody. That sounds <laughs> great. <laughs> you had to put in the teeth dentures, you know. <laughs> All I think of is when you say that the geriatric goth makes think of Aquatine, which tells about stop it now. Assisted living Dracula's on. <laughs> I love that episode. Oh my god. <laughs> and then, last but not least, we have our karate jerk. How are you tonight? I am great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> she sounds <laughs> more every time it's like Carrie more and more sounds like she is so tired of our shit. <laughs> Just so done with it. <laughs> you bring you bring stability and civility to the podcast, Carrie. I know so. we need that. Sorry. <laughs> you did not It's been a long day. Do you hear what happens whenever y'all let me ramble? <laughs> you have to rein me in. <laughs> 
Well, our Facebook community voted on the film to discuss for uh, this month's discussion. I guess we we really don't do things by the month anymore. We just kind of put them out as we uh, feel like it, right? So, uh, but yeah, we're grown. Our, our, own. <laughs> our uh, f- film jerks, film jerks community on Facebook. Uh, voted on a film, and they had selected 1988's Willow. Uh, Willow is a fantasy directed by Ron Howard, and it stars uh, Warwick Davis, Val Kilmer, and Joanne Wally. The story was written by none other than George Lucas, and it follows the adventures of a Willow Offgood as he tries to deliver the child of prophecy to her destiny, and with him is a kind of a down-and-out swordsman played by Val Kilmer, and then, of course, uh, there's a character named Sorsha, who is the daughter of the bad guy, uh, the bad woman in this case, the kind of the queen sorceress of evil, uh, whom the uh, child of destiny is supposed to destroy. So is this the first time you've seen it or have you seen it uh, before? No, this was one of my VHS favorites, you know, that you record off of HBO and watch anytime you want. I had forgotten how amazing this movie was. I mean, I was literally in tears of joy watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) That's great to hear. Uh, How about you, Daniel? Oh, heck no. My dad took me to the theater to see this when I was eight years old. Uh, I think when did it, it came out in 88, correct? 88. That's correct. Yep. Yep. So I would have been sitting in the theater at eight years old watching this with my dad. And I have loved it ever since like this is one of those high concept movies that see back then we didn't have we had lord of the rings the ralph bakshi the uh the rotoscope cartoon which was cool but that's the lord of the rings we have we didn't have peter jackson's 38 year long epic so for (laughs) me willow was like my lord of the rings fix it was my because I was always a Motu fan, so I was more like space barbarians and stuff. Well, Willow was my grounded, high fantasy, you know, the fantasy epic style. So, yeah, that, my first time was when I was eight years old, and I've loved it ever since. Wow, fantastic. And how about you, Carrie? First time? Nope. I had seen this movie way back when I was preteen. I was probably about 12 when the movie came out. Is watching it the second time as uh, refreshing and as as it was the first time you've seen it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is one of the, I've watched it last summer. Generally, as when I get most of my movie watching is during the summer whenever I'm alone. And uh, I, so it's not been too long ago since I'd watched it, but I've seen it, you know, several times over my life. And so it's, you know, I have, I remember a lot of, I remembered a lot of it just whenever I saw it in the theater as a kid, there's just certain scenes of this movie just stand out. So, I mean, yeah, it was refreshing, but then again, I mean, when is it not? I can always watch this movie. <laughs> I'm an adult now. That's really the only thing that changed. I mean, there's something about this movie that just makes you so just happy. I cried. I laughed. I made a fool of myself watching this movie again. <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, watching it when I was a child and then watching it now gave me two different perspectives when I was a kid um, I had some bad experiences with this movie because I used to be teased a lot because of my height and I was called Willow oh, a lot gotcha. in grade school and stuff and high school so that kind of brought back some of my childhood memories but then watching it as an adult I liked it a lot better mm-hmm. Uh, I, like uh, the rest of you, have uh, seen this before. 
the first time I seen it, I, I watched it with the eyes of a child, and I loved every minute of it. I fantasized about being the characters, you know, the Val Kilmer character. I wanted to be a great swordsman, you know? And uh, as I watched it as an adult, much different feelings. I looked at it in from a, a critical standpoint, and I lost a little bit of that magic, unfortunately. I think I still enjoy the film, but it, it seems like I didn't enjoy it as much as you guys did. So uh, that's a bit unfortunate for me. Well, it sounds like you're not much of a sorcerer then, are you? I am not. You know, I have, I have a set of acorns, but apparently... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start going into the movie itself. The first act opens up in a dungeon. It's a wonderfully shot scene. And they uh, kind of bring you into the story by... Essentially, you got all these trapped women, and uh, they are there because they are pregnant, and they're going, they're with child, and there is a prophecy that says that uh, Bad Morda uh, will be toppled by this child of destiny who bears a mark, and they're about to get ready to kill her, but a midwife takes her away and sets her off into the river to be found by you know someone else before she's attacked by a bunch of dogs. It opens the way that I want a high-concept fantasy to open up, you know. See, uh, as predicted years ago, the child would be born and take care of the sorceress queen, Bath Morta. And all you've done is shown me, like, three lines. All right, I'm hooked. Here we go. <laughs> I mean, it's like I said, it's the same referential treatment that I get, like, in Howard the Duck when he's talking about the dimension of demons. It's, okay, so we have a seer. We have a sorceress queen named Bath Morta. Just the name alone, you know there's probably something not right with this chick. Nobody names their kid Bath Morta and expects great or expects nice things from a kid like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Now, maybe if it was like Beverly Morta or something, it'd be fine. But when you just call Bath Morta, that's it. So then we open up in a dungeon. And, I mean, it's just we hopefully by this point we understand that George Lucas has something to do with this flick. Mm-hmm. Ron Howard's directing it. We got we have a nice pedigree so that when it opens up in the dungeon and we get just the very atmosphere of it, the walls look damp. I don't even know if they were real stone. Probably not because it's Hollywood, but the walls look damp. You've got the grating that you can see the moisture. I mean, you can almost smell the rust to it, and you can feel the tension because then you hear Bath Mortis saying, does the child bear the mock? It's like, a, What? <laughs> The hell is okay, and then you they turn over, you see this little thing's like she bears it, she must be destroyed, and immediately it's like, Take the kid, please. And we're off and running. It's you know, not five minutes into the film, and already we're seeing the parallelisms between Moses and Herod and everything else, everything from the Exodus to the to the Nativity. It's typical George Lucas fashion. He borrows from, you know, all these ancient stories, and he incorporates that into his his stories. If you can't tell something better, steal from someone else and <laughs> make it your own. Daniel actually talked about Queen Bavmorda and her performance. What did you think of Jean uh, Marsh's performance as the evil queen? I thought she played great. I mean, your typical evil queen, just like from... Snow White to wanting to kill Snow White off. She was your typical evil queen. She played her part really well, I thought. She's definitely a mix between the the Wicked Queen and Maleficent. Mm. I mean, her outfit with that white, definitely. like God, hood her and the crown, so cool. Uh, she, I mean, that was 
evil. She was just the embodiment of nasty. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone seemed very much in place. Uh, everyone uh, from the, uh, I'm going to call him by the slang term because except for Daikini, I don't really remember all of the actual terms for the people, but the picks. Oh, come uh, on now. That is just racist. They're called, I, it is, it is very, they're called Nelwins. All right. Nelwins. Okay. I always, I, I always heard elf, elf, Elwins and stuff like that. So, but again, my bad ear. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. And through the power of editing, I didn't actually say that. No. <laughs> No. You really actually, are a sorcerer. Hide your sins. Yeah. <laughs> That's my pig trick, actually. It's like disappearing pig trick. That's what I do. I edit out all my mistakes. <laughs> uh, so, technology grand. It's fantastic. Although sometimes it's better just to leave it all in and keep it all natural. Well, so well definitely was not a David Copperfield. That's for sure. <laughs> he was not. Let's talk about the difference between stage uh, magic and sorcery, because that's a big deal in this thing, because in a fantasy type world, there's real magic and there is the kind of the, the trick, the magician versus the sorcerer. And uh, Warwick Davis, who plays Willow, he starts off as being the magician. And then at the end, he actually has true magic. And I think that's a, a really neat thing to to start out the story with, with that kind of thing. Like he didn't actually possess real magic uh, until, until afterwards. Like he, his character actually grew. He had an arc and I don't see that very often in modern day films. It's like almost, almost all the movies that I have seen lately have been that the character already started out with all of their magnificent power and they don't grow. They don't do anything. Movies nowadays, it's just, Copy paste is uh, God, my son has a term for that. I forgot what it is like the copy pastersons or something like that. Is <laughs> he, he says that about people that live in Washington State? It's like everybody is you just control C and control V all over the whole state, especially in the metropolitan areas. And there you go. It just it, it's really funny to hear him explain it, not like not in a mean way, it's just. Curious to hear it from a child, you know. You know how brutal children are. They have no filter. They don't. They tell you exactly what it is <laughs> because they're a child. It's, oh. it's brilliant. But yeah, with this, with Willow, that's what separates. It gives you an arc. It gives you that story that he's a magic from sorcery, and it's you know with magic, what he's doing is prestidigitation and mm -hmm. illusion. But he wants to be. A great magician. He wants to be a sorcerer because he mentions that to Kaya at the beginning. He's like, oh, no, we're not messing this up. Tomorrow's my big day. This is the day that we're going to do it. You know, so he's even said that from the beginning that he wants to be nominated to be the village elders apprentice. Mm -hmm. uh, like Daniel had mentioned, we do have to have the Moses scene where the kids find uh, Alora Dannon. I think is her name. She's the child of prophecy and they find her in the river and they basically Willow does the, the logical thing. He, he says we should push her, push her into the river and let her be somebody else's problem. I he love said, that. Don't, don't touch it. We <laughs> don't, don't know touch where it. it's been. <laughs> it's a daikini baby. We don't want any of that. <laughs> Let's just push it down the river. I, I, I love that. That's also a thing about his character because he starts out being the one that there's like, no, we shouldn't get involved. And then he's the one that ultimately has to be involved. Like and Bilbo. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it, it true epic fantasy type storyline. Well, I mean, Willow, you know, despite his aspirations, is kind of downtrodden. You know, he's not confident in himself and, you know, he's barely making it and he's getting hassled by Burglecut all the time about his crops. Yeah, he has big dreams, but he doesn't quite have the the courage to go after him. And this is just yet another thing that's going to get in his way of maybe possibly taking that first step towards what he wants to do. So he wants no part of it. He doesn't want anything different or scary. It's a no yeah. for him. I think Willow was... He was kind of trying to look out for the best of his, his people. Um, I think he was scared because... This baby was not was a was a regular human being. He wasn't short like Willow and the rest of his village. Where he, I think he feared that the infant, as he would grow up, would feel different from everybody else mm-hmm. if he raised him. It's just one, yeah. You know, with him, like the push it down the river, whatever. This is hinted at, you know, jumping the gun anymore to mm-hmm. too far but he you find this later on is that there it's not a racial tension it's just everybody they keep to this whole world keeps to themselves nelwins keep to nelwins daikini keep to the daikini brownies keep to the brownies it's just it's not like this forced segregation it's just everybody wants to be left alone and so with Willow saying, you know, it's a daikini baby, just push it down. We don't want this. I mean, yeah, it's setting up that he really just wants to be at home to stay with his kids, the bobbins, as he who are adorable, might I add. <laughs> but, you know, he just he wants his family, wants his life. He doesn't want to be bothered because he says it, you know, like in a couple of minutes that tomorrow's the big day. He The last thing he wants <laughs> is this human kid floating down the river on a basket. Of course it does. On the day before, he's supposed to become nominated for the village elder. I mean, dude, of course it is, right? Right? You know, so yep. push it down the river. We don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> There's way, way too many uh, potential problems that could come up in his life, and he didn't need to deal with it. Yes, I, I definitely mm-hmm. agree. It's kind of like how society is now. A lot of times people will see things, but they don't do anything or want to get involved. They just want to, they just walk by. If they, For example, if you see someone bullying somebody in school or so, a lot of kids, they'll just ignore it and let it happen, not say anything. I mean, it's, it's how society has become. You know, they want, they don't want to get involved because they're afraid of what might happen if they get involved or the consequences of getting involved. I've had to make a point that's like, you know, telling my son, if you ever see somebody getting bullied, you better, especially if it's a clear cut, obvious, you know, David versus Goliath thing, there better be a chair going upside the bigger kid's head. (laughs) We don't tolerate that. Of course, I don't say start a fight, but by golly, you finish it. So, but yeah, I understand completely. His case in point, it was a wreck today on the road, and uh, nobody got out of their car to go help to oh. see if the people were okay. That's exactly like, it's my a point. full intersection. Everybody just sitting there, not wanting to get involved, is effed up. But that's that's the beauty of cinema is that it is kind of this mirror of society. So Carrie did definitely bring up a interesting point. However, this this movie was made in 
88. So this is this must have been a problem back then and it's probably been a problem way before that as well. So it's just a, it's it's is humanity destined to be siloed and I'm not going to I'm not going to care about anybody else's problem. <laughs> it's not the right thing, but that's how our society has become, which is sad. So is there a lesson in this movie that could help us to change that? Is there, should we hide the kids? But no, that's not going to work. <laughs> oh. I guess get involved and be the better person. <clears throat> so let's talk about the fair. We're first of all introduced to some wonderful fair music. It very much did not sound like uh, medieval times music. <laughs> um, that music plays in my head whenever I'm about to do something really dumb. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. So, uh, uh, the music of Willow is done by James Horner. Uh, I don't know if that particular song was done by him, but if it was, he did a fantastic job. Uh, what do you think about that song? I adore it. That's just, I mean, it's <laughs> yep. kind of like this mix of Mose Eisley and bluegrass. Mm. And it, it it resonates in my soul. I mean, ever <laughs> since the first time I saw this movie, that music right there, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, you know, like I said, it plays in my head whenever I'm about to do something really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the pig trick, and uh, essentially the disappearing pig trick is, uh, like uh, Daniel had said, is not magic, but prestidigitation. It's sleight of hand. It's something that a rogue would do, not a uh, sorcerer or a wizard. I'm using my D&D terms. I get to be a 12 level, level 12 nerd. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> roll my D20. What did I get? Oh, a one. Uh, botch. Anyways, uh, that's on my charisma check, by the way. <laughs> roll again. Your microphone's going to decapitate you. Oh, yes. Yes. Billy Barty is introduced. He is the High Aldwin? So he's the village elder, but is he also... Does he actually run the village, do you think? I think the bones I thought he was the more of like a... Yeah, a mayor, like a, maybe? Kind of yeah. like the mayor of the village? I also thought that uh, uh, Burglecut was more of the mayor, and this guy was like the sage that everybody goes to if there's a problem, you know? <laughs> I think it's... I get the feeling it was both. Like, Burglecut's the corrupt banker. Like, he's oh. the one with the financial muscle... But the village elder, you know, Billy Barty's character, Aldwin, I mean, he is actually in charge. He just doesn't necessarily inject himself in everyone's affairs. Gotcha. Gotcha. I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, Burglecut wouldn't be such a butthead to Willow about the crops and the farm that he owes the money, you know, uh, to pay the loans back and stuff. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's kind of like the, the potter from... Um... From It's a Wonderful Life, he's like, give me, give me the money you owe me. <laughs> it's like, well, if you, if you let him have his crops for the thing, maybe he can get more money and then everybody would be happy. But no, I don't <laughs> trust you. We get the choice. The, the, uh, how he is to pick his apprentice is he sticks out his hand and the uh, applicants are supposed to pick the finger that contains the power of the universe, which I, I just absolutely love. Uh, what are your thoughts about that test? Uh, and I'll tell you what I thought about it at first, but uh, anybody who wants to chime in, what, what do you think about that test? Uh, I was, yeah, go ahead, because I was going to say it was just brilliant, I thought. Yeah. Well, it's so I knew it couldn't be any of his 
uh, things. Because as a, as a child, it was like, you know, hey, something's wrong. This doesn't look fair because uh, obviously the person that uh, that picks first has the most amount of choices. The person that picks last would technically have the ability to have less choices. So it's not really equally fair because the chances are are different. You know, statistically speaking, the the options are are skewed depending on who you picked and or uh, who when you picked. And so I think I was like, as a kid, it was like, hey, this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. So you knew that it couldn't be any of his its fingers. And so I was like, well, it's got to be uh, your finger. <laughs> um, but there was there was also like the adult in me was was like, <laughs> he should he should it should be the middle finger, right? Because that's that's <laughs> the one that that gets people to do things. Because if you give somebody the middle finger. You make them do things. Either they get mad at you or they laugh at you. I mean, even me mentioning the middle finger, I got a chuckle out of things. So there's a lot of power in that finger. Don't I've you been waving him around my room the last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> See, and, and I, I'm thinking that Nixon, instead of giving the peace symbol, he should just gave everybody the middle finger. <laughs> that would have been like... <laughs> that just uh, all politicians should just do that and 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 be realistic in who they are. Just give everybody the middle finger because the power of the universe in my middle finger, dudes. You can tell Alvin wasn't a granddad, otherwise, be, which finger you pull is the one that gives the power. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That would have been my game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pull the pull, pull the finger. finger that contains the magic. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you have the potential <laughs> to be a great sorcerer. You can move the earth and wind. <laughs> it is a great test because, I mean, like, the, the pointer finger is also, you know, the, the picking finger. That's what people use mostly to pick. And so your choices are made with that finger. So, yeah, you could say that that has the most power. But then you have the, the ring finger, which I think ultimately Willow picked. Uh, which is kind of ironic, I think, is because the ring finger does have power too. Because once you put a ring on that finger, uh, your choices are kind of changed. Your, your you're life no longer changes. a single lady. <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the single ladies, That's all the right. single. But ladies. you got to remember, Willow hesitated first. He did. Yeah. You he could did. visibly see him hesitate. <laughs> because, well, was it because he had, <laughs> he wasn't sure if it, that was finger or, or was he really thinking that it was his? No, finger? because he told him. He said. Yeah. I you hesitate a moment ago. Why did you hesitate? And he was like, because I was going to pick my finger, not yours. That was the right answer. But you didn't get it, you stupid shit. It's your problem. I mean, it's, that was that whole scene. It's like he hesitated because he was going to pick his own finger. That's why I had said, as a kid, that blew my mind. Because it was like, you know, pick his finger. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Which finger is supposed to have magic? He's like, it's because it's in your finger. And I was like, whoa, mind blown. I'm sorry. I don't know why he turned into Gilbert Gottfried. But pick a finger. Any <laughs> finger. You got the power of the universe. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that would have been an entirely different movie had he been there. <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried is Finn Rizal. <laughs> <laughs> Use the words, Willow! <laughs> I'm melting over here! I was once a great sorcerer! 
I'm a beautiful young woman. <laughs> I could actually hear Gilbert Godfrey say that, though. I really could. <laughs> Of course, what happens is uh, during the fair, if you remember the, the comment I made about finger blasting, I was referring to this one scene uh, where, where they were basically picking on people's fingers because, you know, obviously all the fingers in somebody else's hand is meaningless, uh, but only your finger has the real power because you can pick your nose with it. You can pick your friends with it. You can pick other things with it, but you shouldn't. Pick your other <laughs> friend's nose with it. Yes. So the dogs attack, and that sets the events into motion where, oh no, they're searching for a baby, and then Willow automatically is like, oh, I gotta rush home, because they're probably after that one baby, Daikini baby. So he runs home, uh, finds his wife there with uh, the actual child, Alora Dannon, and he has to make a decision. He knows that their, their village is not going to be safe so long as... The child remains in the village. So he decides to go to the elders and find out what should he do. And of course, they consult the bones. We gotta consult the bones! <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene is very comical. Uh, Willow's going to take the child off to this one sacred, like, fortification uh, to the crossroads. And he's going to hand off the baby to a daikini that can take care of the baby. And then they're to return. I love the characterizations in this film because they stay true to their characters. I keep wanting to say this all the time. It, that's when George Lucas was, I think, at the height of his uh, writing style. Mm-hmm. I think later on in his career, he, he tried to be more artistic and less, less story-driven like he is in, the, in this thing. So it's wonderful to see this film. It's wonderful to see his Indiana Jones and his characters for Star Wars. I love that during that time period you get to see these type of characters in Willow and they continue on and they, they have their uh, Lord of the Rings moment where they, they travel off to the crossroads. You can um, see true inspiration in the whole story. Cause I mean, <laughs> the part where it says, it's just, you know, he's doing magic, but then he wants to learn to be a sorcerer. And so Aldwin is testing him to picking the finger and he was going <laughs> to pick his on, but his own, but he didn't at the end, he doubted himself and tried to pick one from Aldwin, and he told him, you know, that was the wrong answer. You had the right answer the entire time. You just didn't believe in yourself. So what's the very next scene where they have to consult the bones? Well, Aldwin rolls the bones, and he's like, the bones tell me nothing. Exactly. And so Willow, you know, he's sitting there staring at him, and then he's like, do you care for the child? What do you want to do? And this, again, it's like a test. The whole time, it's like Aldwin is Gandalf. He's just testing Willow each and every time, but in like a nurturing way because it, it's almost like he knew what will he was hoping what willow was going to choose but he was never going to tell willow what to do he was every time he was leaving the choice just like gandalf with frodo when they're at rivendale and frodo says he'll take the ring and then you can see gandalf physically just like oh you know it's like okay you know he hated it but that's the choice that needed to be made and that's what he was hoping so that's i just feel like aldwin Kind of, sort of, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge at the camera. He knew it. But, again, a credit to George Lucas. You can tell when his story is inspired. And this is just one of those that you could just tell from the opening. And then now we're at the whole Lord of the Rings crossing over the frontier and stuff. You can tell the inspiration 
as he was writing this story, like it came from somewhere and it actually meant something. It wasn't just a CGI rehash, you know, uh, was like a showpiece. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the scenery took a lot. I mean, location wise, this was an amazing film. You, it was like, you really didn't have to do much with the scenery. You could just, like they had wonderful scenes they had the 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 just the backdrop the long that you got the mountain ranges you've got the flat plains you've got all of those wonderful scenes you've got areas where they're kind of like in this kind of amazing and i think part there was part of cgi in, in some of that but i think for the most part the scenery and the locations were well done in this film what do you what are your thoughts about that guys oh it's great i it's an epic location like mm -hmm. this was perfect for the story that was being told i so thought it, the scenery was great it was beautiful i was just gonna say just those establishing shots he just gave you a couple of shots and a you know wistful kind of emotional james horner piece and you've built an epic like angelique <laughs> said it just everything is so epic and all he had to do was just mat in a couple of scenery shots from china that he put over you know, in the background of the stuff that they were doing and a couple other little shots and <laughs> boom, no CGI needed, honestly. Mm -hmm. And it looked, it looked so much bigger. Like if you watch uh, another film that came out around that time, Legend, Legend seemed very claustrophobic compared to this film. How would you rank the like scenery compared to like Lord of the Rings and say something like Legend? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts about that? How would you compare them? I thought it was kind of similar to Lord of the Rings, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So very, very, uh, like, open and, and more vast and a lot of, like, open, established shots of the, of the world. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Which actually does kind of bring us to the crossroads where they find uh, um, Mad Mardigan, who's the swordsman, played by Val Kilmer. He's in a crow's nest. Uh, is it a crow's nest? I think it's called a crow's nest. It was basically a cage. And gibbet, I think is the the punishment turn is called a gibbet or yeah. a gibbet. I think is I think it's pronounced mm -hmm. gibbet, gibbet, but it's gibbet. Thank you. Okay, so mm -hmm. yeah, I think they call like if it's used for punishment, it's called a gibbet. Mm. Famously used for thieves and pirates. Which you know, and unfortunately, there were two scenes that were cut out from the film uh, that kind of cover some of the uh, Mad Mardigan's background stories, as well as there's a, a cut scene with Sorsha that also kind of explains why she had, uh, eventually switches sides. And unfortunately, we didn't get to see those. And hopefully someday they'll, they'll put them back into like a, a director's cut. That would be kind of interesting, I think. Um, There's a director's cut on Prime. Oh, I'll have, to, I'll have to watch that one and see if that includes those scenes or not. Uh, but it goes into the, uh, more of the background characters of Mad Mardigan and, and what his relationship with Eric is more so. And cool. kind of why he's in the cage as well. Why wasn't Warwick Davis given top billing in this film? He is the he's the main character in this thing, but Val Kilmer and I think Joanne Wally had higher billings than him. And I, at some point, even George Lucas mentioned that 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 was one of his uh, one of the things that he didn't like was that he didn't give Warwick Davis the the more of the credit that I think he should have deserved. 
But what are your thoughts about that? Does or does it even matter when you watch films? Do you even care about who has top billing or or not? I never gave it a thought, honestly. I mean, as yeah. I think about it now, I would have. It's just one of those I would assume he would have been the first one credited, but you never know. It's writing a story like that was one of the hardest parts I had. Like whenever I made Shade of Night is mm -hmm. when I wrote the story in my head. A lot of times what you're seeing, what George Lucas is seeing in his head may not be completely what ended up on paper. Mm -hmm. So much so that at the end, Mad Mardigan, Sorsha, Willow, hell, Aldwin were all main characters. And he didn't know who to put where or what. Or maybe his, the priority of his storyline was different in his head, you see what I'm saying? So maybe, I mean, I don't know, or unless you know, an ad campaign made that decision. I think it was. I think it was more marketing because it was like, let's put in the people that people will know, like Val Kilmer. They the only nobody knew who Warwick Davis was except for if they happened to look at extras for Ewok. But no, Jet. Well, yeah, Return of the Jedi was '86, yeah. and uh, he wasn't in. He was in a TV series called The Wizard. Mm -hmm. That wasn't until was later, that yeah. yeah see that I, I was, think even, was later yeah he was writing on the success of Willow that landed him that TV spot so again I mean you're you're right that's probably was a marketing campaign yeah. decision the only, that they made the only other thing I can think of is that he was actually pretty young George Lucas met Warwick Davis because because of Return of the Jedi in fact the character of Wicket W Warwick was named after. The, you know, the character that played him. So Warwick uh -huh. Davis played Wicket. And he says that he was a little child. And what's funny is that um, I think they, they say that Warwick Davis isn't that much older than his own kids in this film, like like eight years older than his, his kids in the, in the film, which is hilarious. So uh, tremendous amount of thing for someone that young to pull off a, like a, a heavy-duty role like, like this one was. An adult. He's a brilliant actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what are your favorite characters in here and, and the actors that played them? Who who did a fantastic job? I already said that I liked uh, Jean Marsh. I thought she did a wonderful job. I also love the uh, actress uh, Joanne Wally, who played Sorsha. When I was a kid, I loved Mad Mardigan. That was my character. But as an adult, I think Sorsha had a much better arc and a much better character. And also, I thought she was better. Uh, she did a wonderful job. She did a better job of acting her character than Val Kilmer. I think Val Kilmer, it was just easy for him to be Val Kilmer and play Matt Mardigan. <laughs> he played himself. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't met my favorite characters yet. Uh, well, we can talk about them. Let's let's talk I about them. I love the brownies. They are so... <laughs> ah, I stole a baby! <laughs> Why did they have love... French accents? Come on. Because they're brownies. So all the brownies <laughs> and, the, and the evil empire of the galaxy are all played by Englishmen, which is hilarious. That's George Lucas, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, I love those little guys. Uh, they're so much fun. And, <laughs> and I really I like Finn Rizal more as an animal than as a person. No, the brownies, a number one right there. So uh, their names are Rule and Rule. And, and, and Frangine. Which one did you like better? Did you, or do you or you just love them equally? Well, Rule had better lines. It's kind of like you know my favorite characters from Lord of the Rings are Merry and Pippin. 
you can't pick one over the other. They're a package you deal. Know? Right. You know, Peregrine Took is kind of the idiot. Mary's not much smarter than him, but gets the job done. It, it, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I love my brownie boys. <laughs> uh, Carrie, what, what about you? You have a favorite character or actor? Actually, I, I can relate a lot to the character of Willow. Bringing, I guess, with his character from the beginning, you saw he wasn't as confident, but as the movie went on, he gained confidence. He overcame his fears, overcame obstacles. Um, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, yeah, just like when it comes to the all-around best character. I mean, seriously, it's Willow. He's just like Mr. Perfect, Mr. Poster Child. This is what you want everybody to be. He's wonderful. I mean, and he is. I have to say Val Kilmer is like my favorite. It just like I said, I feel like he was playing himself. <laughs> he was fun. Sure, he was corny. And some of the lines were kind of ham-handed and, you know, ham-fisted delivered and stuff. But he was still, I like the arc. The fact that they meet him, he's in a thief's cage in a gibbet. He's a deserter. Nobody gives him a chance. Everybody, he's a scoundrel. And even he admits that he, well, he won't really admit that he is, even though he's afraid that he is. He just doesn't want anybody else to know that he is. Mm -hmm. But whenever Willow says, well, who are you? He's like, I'm the greatest swordsman that ever lived. And every time you meet him, it's because of bad luck is why he is where he is. It's like if something would go right for him for a change, he could actually whip some ass. And you see him do that in the end, the, the tavern. The, <laughs> the problem is, I guess he was either trying to or was banging Lug's wife. Uh. And so that, you know, he dresses <laughs> up and stuff so that when Lug comes in, and you know this he's my in that situation. When Sorcia comes in, yeah, Sorcia comes in and looks at him, and he's like, "Wow, you're beautiful." <laughs> like that. And she says, "And you're very strong." And he goes, "Really?" <laughs> and just, but then the whole fight scene, he's taken out every, all these armed soldiers, and all he is is in a dress. Yeah. And throughout everything <laughs> is one bad luck after another. Until he finally gets a sword. And even when he gets it, he just disarms, you know, two or three dudes and then flips the sword around, but then slips in the snow. It just, <laughs> he can't catch a break. Finally, he does whenever they had the assault on not a Tiresleen, but in the ruined city. Mm -hmm. You know, he's taking on Kale's army by him. He sets traps. Yeah, Where's that was was that Tiraslin? Yeah, and I mean he's take. I mean he's taking him out single handedly, just him. So he like his character arc when things actually happen to start going his way, he is who he said he was. Hmm. It's just he's been through. It seems like he'd been through so many bad roles that he was just a down and out hero. But as far as armor, there are certain things in my childhood I have always loved. Mm -hmm. Skeletor's outfit from the Masters of the Universe movie is still like number one in my yeah. brain. Like if I could have any wardrobe to play on stage, I want that. <laughs> but another one is the cover art for Witch Haven, Ken Kelly's artwork for that PC game Witch Haven. But General Kale, that freaking armor, that <laughs> skull helmet is just ingrained in my memory as a little kid. I was just like in awe. This dude has a skull helmet as like the scariest thing I'd ever seen. His horse has horns. 
oh my god and he's like kill the baby get the child <laughs> just like this dude means business so i'm afraid to say mad martigan is my favorite character because general kale's gonna come up and be yeah. like i kill him too and so <laughs> i'm gonna give it to kale just out of fear no yes. <laughs> Seriously, he's got fur. He's got furry boots. He's got furry pauldrons, a fur cloak, a skull-faced helmet, two swords, big-ass gauntlets, and a spiky horse. And he didn't care about a two-headed beast monster coming up out of the water. He could care less. He just walks up and starts passing out knuckle sandwiches left and right just because he wants the baby. Like, the dude doesn't care. He's a machine. Yeah, he's all about getting the job done, which is what you want in the head of the henchman, right? You don't want the stupid guy leading your troops. Very true. Yeah. Da -da. Also, like for the dogs that they borrowed a trick from the killer shrews. Oh, where they put like wigs on. all over the dogs. Yeah, yeah. I heard they put a wig on Alora too. She doesn't actually have the hair, so they 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 had a special type of like non hurtful glue. That they stuck her hair on with syrup. Oh, it was yeah, syrup. That's what syrup. it was. Yeah. Those so that dogs kind of though kind of looked like boars too. They had kind of boar resemblance. Man, those yeah. things were scary. Yeah, they were. <laughs> like when I was a, remember, I'm like eight years old watching this. Movie. This is some, some intense stuff for a Conan kid to be watching. I mean, well, it was like Conan wasn't any less intense. But I'm just saying, I was an impressionable kid. You know, I just grew up on a steady diet of Transformers and He-Man. And then my mom <laughs> lets me watch Conan. God, I think I was five, maybe six. And, you know, so here's a live-action version of He-Man. And now I'm watching Willow, and you got these demon boar dogs running after him and stuff. It's just, and General Kale, it's like, it's pretty intense. That's all. <laughs> the noise well, those trolls made, too. Oh, yeah. I didn't like the makeup on the trolls, though. They reminded me of those uh, monkey creatures from Land of the Lost. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, they look like a messed out Ronnie James Dio. It was. Not to mention that they do. So. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. I keep coughing because I got brownie in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> the dust uh, of broken heart. Oh yes, yes! I love that stuff. We're, we are going to get to them as soon as as soon as we uh, explain to the audience that at this point in the story they meet Mad Martigan uh, in the cage. They also meet a character uh, by the name of Eric. Uh, Eric comes from the town that General Kale had just sacked, and then uh, Val Kilmer's character Mad Martigan finds out what's happened. He's like, "Get me out of this cage! I'm, I I will fight." Eric's like, no, I don't trust you anymore. That has to do with the backstory that got cut out. But anyways, like half the group decides, okay, no, we've gone as far as we needed to do. We reached the crossroads. There's a daikini there. You can give the baby. We're, we're leaving. And that leaves Willow and the one guy that volunteered, Mikos. I think Mikos was, uh, he's a wonderful character, even though he had a, such a small part. He's the type of hero that I like playing in RPGs. I like that heroicness that I'm going to stand by the guy, you know, he's the Sam, Sam wise Ganges, you know, he's, he's the guy that's going to stick with the supposed hero to make sure that he doesn't fall. And then they eventually do end up giving uh, a Laura Dannon to Mad Mardigan and they start heading back the next, I think morning they, they see a weird sight. They hear the baby crying and uh, on this kind of bird or two brownies and uh, in the, 
talons of the bird is, of course, Alora Dannon. <laughs> yeah, because remember, Mad Barda gets home and like, I will care for this like she's my own child. Come on. And then <laughs> next scene, baby stolen. But I, I think was was he was actually taking a piss. Yeah, the, I stole it while you were taking a pee pee. Yeah, while he was taking a pee pee. See, once again, Mad Mardigan just can't get a lucky break. <laughs> Part of it, he he does make his own luck. He, he, exactly, you know? <laughs> he's his own worst enemy. Exactly. But through the encounter, though, they actually do find out that uh, the. The brownies were working for like a fairy queen, I guess. And she hands the wand off to uh, Willow and says, give this to Finn Rizel, which is the great sorceress uh, that was exiled. Uh, at this point, we actually are introduced to <laughs> uh, what um, Angelique had already mentioned, that love dust. They actually use it on a cat at first, and he's kind of fallen in love with the cat. No, it's just, you know, again, rules sees a daikini woman, even though he's like six inches tall. <laughs> he's like, Yeah, give me the dust of broken hearts. I want to use it on her. And, and Frenchie's like, No, you idiot. And rule gets blasted in the face with it. And I guess the trick for the dust of broken hearts is you fall in love with the first um, creature of the opposite sex that you see. Rule happens to see a cat, <laughs> which tries to eat him. <laughs> but. But that it shows the danger of it because you know that's the other thing about old time storytelling that we kind of miss out nowadays is they set up things like like the whole the the pig trick comes back the dust comes back you know he actually sets things up so that when they're used later on you're like not surprised it's fantastic once again they don't make them like they used to uh, we do get to see actually Val Kilmer in drag this time. Uh, he's dressed up as the cousin of the one lady and Lug. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> they go. They basically Willow is in Tortuga, and uh, so you got everything going on. And the after the dust of the broken hearts happens, that there's a fight going on. So Willow gets the baby, and as soon as he does, he's not backwards in the next room. And there you have Mad Mardigan. And you hear the woman say, no, hurry up. My husband's here. If he catches you here, he'll kill you. He'll kill us both. <laughs> and so he's getting dressed up. There's, you know, stuff in his chest and then puts the veil over his head. Right time, the husband busts in and says, oh, my husband, Lug. And she's trying to pass off Val Kilmer as if it's her cousin. Of course, Lug <laughs> is incredibly enticed. Apparently, Val Kilmer looks really good as a woman, too. So much so he keeps trying to cover his face because he's got that natural five o'clock shadow. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, Lug is pressing closer and closer with the advances and uh, Val Kilmer's trying to fight him off. All the while, Willow was down there. It, when he sees it's like, not you again. <laughs> and then, of course, Mardigan looks out. He's like, you? And then he's like, you're infested with brownies. It's <laughs> just the back and forth in the scene. The interplay is funny. How the movie has gone from serious and yet they can add a comical element to it. And it doesn't feel out of place. It feels natural to the film. And it just, yeah, the scene itself, it is funny. Especially when Sorsha busts in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I love the fact that they could put a bar fight, a bar brawl, 
anything like that because to me this movie is very much uh, i i talked about i i love role-playing dnd shadow run all those type of things vampire all right so this this movie is like the template that you can use to have a really good adventure and you have to have this bar scene and that of course the bar scene is also followed by a tremendously wonderful wagon scene willow and man morgan they escape on the on the wagon and they ride very very fast on this wagon and as they're riding the fast the wheels are breaking or getting very smaller on the wagon willow yells at man morgan for driving so fast with the baby because mm-hmm. the baby did have a baby seat of course just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> this kind of sums it up i guess you could say yeah yeah <laughs> well it's it's your it's your typical stagecoach type thing where where it's 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 a runaway stagecoach the the reins of the thing are down below and you have to have one character go and grab that while the other one is fighting in the back and it's it's very you see this in some of uh, the I want to say the Indiana Jones type films where George Lucas kind of brings that whole aesthetic back to the thing where he he likes stunts. It was great. I mean, you got to see everybody kind of step up, you know, Willow being really courageous, trying to get control of the wagon. You got Mad Mardigan fighting his heart out. You got the brownies trying to do their part. You know, it was just a really, really well done scene. (laughs) A a lot of good coordination and, and, also, too, you get to see that Mad Martigan isn't just this crazy, insane guy, because at the very end, he he te- he makes the wagon continue on, and he goes and hides with Willow and Alora and the Brownies. That's a smart thing to do, because they're going to keep chasing that wagon, thinking they're on that. Had he been just this crazy guy, he probably wouldn't, he just, you know, he would have done something really stupid and rash. And I think that really does show a bit of how his character isn't uh, really this one-dimensional character that he actually can think, and he is a great fighter of sorts, you know? Then uh, we eventually do reach Finn Rizal, the island that she's supposedly exiled to, and unfortunately she is not just exiled, but she's transformed into, I believe, a possum? Yeah, she was a lemur. Yeah, oh, lemur, that's what it was, yeah. And then through the magic... Willow is supposed to transform her back into her form. Unfortunately, he's still not quite good with magic yet, and he's learning the words and learning the magic. And the first time he attempts to try to change her, he just manages to transform her into a bird and not into the full human form that she's supposed to be. I like what they were, I like the little things that they're building into the world. Again, it's nerd tangent of mine i just get so nerdy about things like that but all the backstory mm-hmm. like i said the little thing they open it up with three words of a narrative at the opening of the movie and boom you've got an epic right then and there wide ex, you know establishing shots showing all this scenery and stuff little things with armor little things like names of places and towns that if they don't tell you what they're about, they evoke many more questions than are being answered, and they leave that for your brain to fill in the blanks and run off in your own tangents. Well, the magic in this is the same way. You get the test from Aldwin, who say, pick a finger, any finger, and he does all of that, but then 
when they get to Finn Rizal, she's explaining things to do and says, use your words. What words? Well, apparently there's a freaking magic language <laughs> that Willow knows that he's been using because whenever he had the pig, and the pig's gone. So he knows this language. It just never worked for him. Mm-hmm. So she says, concentrate on the words. And this is the word of being. And so she knows this alphabet as well. Well, then she bites his finger and says, you know, what was that for? And she says, well, it tastes a little blood. You know, you've got to have it to finish a spell. Well, that's part of sorcery. Sorcery comes from the Greek word of pharmakia. Pharmakia is meaning using alchemical components to alter your brain chemistry. It harkens back to the Bible when it says your vile sorceries because the Babylonians were into sorcery. Well, sorcery is basically doing drugs or mind expansion, Mm -hmm. rambling. The whole point is. He rubs the blood on the wine. And then Finn Rizal says the first time is always painful. It's a little bit painful. Well, we have just opened. It's like, hold a damn phone a minute. We have opened up a whole. We got a lot of. There's a lot happening here that just occurred in biting a dude's finger and a couple of lines of dialogue exchange that they've really built upon. And the cool thing about it is that they really don't touch on it anymore. You'll hear a couple of incantations later on, but he have just completely left it to your imagination. And all he's done is given you a couple of seeds for that. He already knew the language. He was using it at the beginning of the movie. Aldwin knew the language and he just didn't tell it, but he knew it because he was telling Willow that. And then but Willow didn't believe it. Right. And that's, that's where, th- that's where Brazil came in. You got to have faith in the word. There you go. And then, you know, add the blood and then, so then he also says casting casting a spell. She says that casting a spell is going to cause a little bit of pain. Mm-hmm. This comes in later on in the film. So I mean, it just I love that I, because I incorporate that in my uh, my homebrew D and D is basically just a big Frankenstein mess <laughs> of stuff I've worked on over the years. But to culminate it down, it ended up being a lot like the Black Hack. But magic that I use in mine comes at a cost it comes at a price and either through physical pain mental pain or it will age you basically it will f you up if you use it even you know you can light a cigarette you know you could like snap your finger and a little lighter flame will pop up out of your thumb and you could hold that for a little bit but there will be a little consequence everything you do is a ripple effect I just I love that concept that maybe even subconsciously came from Willow. The fact that him casting just that little spell, but because he wasn't used to it, it caused him a lot of pain. And that's why he had to break it. He lost his concentration and then turned her into a crow Mm -hmm. is from that. Anyway, continue on my rambles over about the magic. (laughs) I enjoy the fact that our hero doesn't instantly just work things that he isn't the the level level 15 wizard that he's going to be at the end you know he he actually has to work his way up through the adventure because i i feel like i can travel with the hero and be the hero uh at the same rate so i appreciate the fact that at this point in the movie he isn't the powerful wizard and that he's still making mistakes and and stuff like that it's just it again shows character growth and uh some movies just don't have that anymore and it's it's a shame uh i think at some point where where does the the sled scene come in where 
where they're riding uh, a shield down the mountain. Uh, um, it's after they get caught at Fenrizel's lake. Okay, The yep. brownies catch up with them and break them out. And then <laughs> Mad Mardigan gets hit with the dust and falls in love with Sorcha. <laughs> with Sorcha. Yep. When they're trying to get the baby back. And I tell you, man, if some dude came up to me spitting those lines, uh, my underwear would jump ten feet to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Val Kilmer does a wonderful job with his poetry, and it's like, it's like interesting. <laughs> Again, that's another layer of his character: the fact that, yeah, he was under a spell, but you have to you have to realize that he actually does have this heart of a poet inside of him. Otherwise, he couldn't just have spouted out those words. I don't think that. I think he actually had that in him. And the love potion just kind of, or the love dust just kind of made him uh, bring it out. And then, and again, another thing about uh, character development, you don't see him just instantly fall in love with her. You actually go back and you see, uh, first of all, that, you know, that one line that um, Daniel mentioned, he's like, you're beautiful. <laughs> and then he kind of hates her and he says he hates her. And then this whole love thing was forced upon him and is like it's just it's a it's character building and i just enjoy it i'm gonna say character building a lot in this in this podcast so i warn you guys i know what you mean and val kilmer mm-hmm. talked to me like that my panties are often 10 feet to the left yeah i think all of our panties would be as well so <laughs> um. <laughs> but yeah they go from there to and they're they're in the snow and and they grab the sled and slide down it but one thing i did notice that mountain that's the same mountain from temple of doom thank you i was like yes yes it was <laughs> i was like wait a minute i know those rocks holy crap it's it's, it's like george lucas being george lucas you know it's just like hey at hey. least so willow didn't say i hate the water i hate getting wet and i hate you that's <laughs> because he but wasn't he banging had, the director <laughs> so oh, we're talking. Say that out loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what did we say about your inner voice and your outer voice? My Come bad. On. Yes, yes. The, so there's uh, one tactic that I use in my D and D a lot. My characters, and, and it, it's it's called kisser. Even if it's a guy, I, I kiss her. Uh, so so it's it's a tactic that I got from Mad Mardigan and the new Get Smart. God, I love that scene. Oh, my God. Both of those have worked their way into my characters for D&D or any kind of role playing. It's like whenever I want like a weird strategic uh, advantage, I'll do that. I'll just like kiss them out of out of the blue. And it just it. What do you do in a situation like that? It's like the perfect thing to do to throw off your opponent. Uh, Val Kilmer does that to Sorsha. Uh, in the in this film, mind you, she gets to do it later on in the episode to him. So I think that was kind of fair. Officer Johnson asked me not to do that anymore. <laughs> well, you should kiss him. <laughs> what do you mean this coupon's expired? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then right, right, right afterwards, of course, Val Kilmer falls off, and he. Turns into that big rolling snowball. <laughs> yeah. 
we do have to mention that some of the special effects are are very aged in this, but a lot of the special effects are are wonderful. I mean, you know, the first instance of morphing is done in this film supposedly uh, when they uh, actually transform uh, Finn Rizel back to the human form. That's uh, through the first first time that uh, ILM did morphing, which later on you you can see in like Terminator Two and all sorts of other movies like that. Thank you, Willow, for bringing that into being. Although probably some other movie will do it too, you know. Uh, they end up hiding in a cellar where they uh, again rejoin Eric again, which is again great storytelling. They set things up for later on again, and you kind of see a change. Well, not at this point, but you will eventually get to see Eric change his opinion of Mad Mardigan, which then can basically adds to the whole character transformation, the arc of Val Kilmer's character. So you need to kind of revisit Eric at this point. And at this point, he still thinks that Mad Mardigan is a little bit like a worthless uh, soldier at this point. But uh, they end up capturing uh, Sorsha and uh, using her as a way to basically escape. And then they do end up getting to the fortress that they're supposed to, uh, where they end up meeting the Land of the Lost Trolls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the build-up's awesome. It's, as you start to see Mad Mardigan, just slowly but surely, this he's already gotten the sword, and Willow is the only one who sees him use, well, the three or four dead soldiers, too, but Willow mm. is, like, the only one who sees him use the sword. So Willow has to tell us that you really are good because we still don't believe it, except for we've seen him take out a few people. And it's like, wow, you know, he's actually doing something. But then he stumbles, slips and falls and, you know, the whole <laughs> them coming down the mountain. So now they're running to Tira's lean. They get there. And, of course, Mad Martin, he's complaining again. And because it seems like Willow is the cause of all of his misfortunes as of late, <laughs> he steps in a big pile of poop and it's troll poop. And he, he even mentions that it's troll poop. <laughs> and so he's already seeded the story for us. Well, then they know that Kale is on the way. And so he has to prepare. And it's a really cool scene showing them running, racing with their horses, racing up towards the gate just as Mad Mardigan closes it right as they get there. Well, then you hear Kale on the other side, fell the tree, battering ram! And, <laughs> you know, they're about to go on a full-fledged assault. And so while Willow has the baby trying to, you're just like, what in the world is Willow going to do? Mad Mardigan's off setting up his traps, and he ends up going in the room to, you know, finds an armory. Mm -hmm. And he actually finds a suit of armor and, and there's no question. It's really cool. Again, it's just, it's the way he does it. It's instinct. You can tell that even it's just subconscious, but you, you're watching it. You can subconsciously know this. He just grabs things and starts sets, setting them up. He's done this before. He's actually probably improvised like this before. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like he's going by the seat of his pants. Like he's <laughs> living life that way, but he's set up traps and fortifications like this on numerous occasions and so much so that it's just snapping back and forth between him and kale and then you see willow running up top you know with the trolls approaching mm -hmm. and so now they have divided your you have two threats that we now have to watch out for because we're still attached to the baby we dear god don't want anything to happen to that baby since the beginning of this film but now you got dude with that fur and the armor smashing through and the only person that's between the baby 
and them is Willow, mm-hmm. a dwarf who can't even cast a spell, <laughs> and Mad Mardigan, who <laughs> at least now is wearing armor and not a dress. Yeah. But he bars the door with this like two by four looking thing, and that like <laughs> they're like they stop, and it's like. They have to build a battering ram to break down this two by four. Kale, the, see, a lot of Kale's strength lies in his charisma. If this were D and D, a lot of Kale gets intimidation, so he's going to have to use his charisma score, not necessarily to bash the door in with force of numbers. Mm-hmm. He wants to bash the door in with style, causing fear ah, to the yes. other party. <laughs> Make a will check. I yeah. did notice, you know, he's he ordered the princess around. I mean, yeah. Sorsha, for all intents and purposes, is a princess. She's yes. a, a evil warrior princess who should be calling the shots. But Kale's like, Sorsha, go get a tree. And she's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to get a tree, right. you guys. <laughs> yes, she, is, she is the daughter of the evil queen. <laughs> it is kind of cool, yeah. And yet Kale is the one calling all the shots. Huh. <laughs> But it, I I think it was his his army though that that was with him. Uh, so. Probably, I mean, Kale... Morda's army. Yeah, well, Bob it is Morda's that, but... army. But I think uh, I think his troops are loyal to him because those are the guys that followed him into battle. So I think it's like she just escaped from Willow and uh, Mad Mardigan, so her soldiers might not be with them. You know, maybe. So I'm thinking that. But yeah. it could just be a deferential thing. I mean, it's yeah. one of those like they know who the hierarchy is, but maybe during strict combat authority is deferred skeleton on his face right authority (laughs) in in straight combat roles authority is going to be deferred to kale because Mm -hmm. they are in combat when combat is over sorsha now calls the shots as the diplomat whereas you know if there's a grave is using their strengths for each other sorsha is by far a better looker now if you need someone to be intimidating you're going to go to kale Whereas if you need someone to be sly, shrewd, or just cut your head off, you know, I imagine Sorcia would be fit for that kind of job. So maybe so, it was just one of those. And Sorcia is resourceful. Like, she is the one that kept finding Willow and Alora Dannon. Whereas Kale just, the only reason why he was able to have the baby, it was because of Sorcia that they were able to do that. So she... She's the the cunning, the thinker, the strategist. He's the guy that is like, I know military tactics and I know how to like siege a, a you know, a fortress. Yeah, maybe that was it. He was just telling her, you know, source of battering ram, meaning you need to go over here and tell these guys what to do. She is, you know, he's dividing them off and she is yeah. head lieutenant. Go over here and do this, you know, while he is here setting up the defenses for fixing to assault and siege Tira's lean. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes I mean, sense. to me, it just sounded like he thought lot. he was the boss of her. <laughs> yeah, hey, you bossing me around. What are you doing? Well, it it is George <laughs> Lucas's story, so she she could have possibly been in one of those chail mail chail mail bikini things. <laughs> so, I mean, she did have booby form armor. Yes, because do not ever, dear God, <laughs> never ever mess with a lady warrior who's got booby molded armor. <laughs> uh, this is just if you have seen any movie, played any video game or whatever, never mess with that chick. She has molded armor covering her boobs. She knows what she's doing and is not afraid to stab people. Well, and the fact that they had they had a blacksmith that had to do a special thing for that because regular armor would work on a female, 
uh, in, in medieval it's times. preferred the boob form is a weak point. Yes. <laughs> Just... For who? Because the guys are going to be like, she's got boob and then stab. So and then the, the kissing next guy's going to be like, wow, she's got boob stab. <laughs> I'm a guy. Y'all could trust me on this. Get boob molded armor. <laughs> At least one. So, Carrie, you, Angelique, if y'all are going to assault, one of you had the boob molded armor and the other one can have the full on protection armor. And that way, when the guy is distracted by the boob molded armor, you could just, the other one could come in and steamroll it. And <laughs> I mean, I've win. got a chainmail bikini around here somewhere. <laughs> Dude, so. okay. See? <laughs> Why are y'all sitting questioning me about this? How do you keep it's it not good. It's not for combat, though. Oh. Uh, not with that attitude, it's not. Remember your protection. <laughs> Which finger is this one on? <laughs> so... Willow does get to use a little bit of magic. He he launches a troll into the air. Unfortunately, it lands on the ground, starts to like convulse, and then his skin like rips from the inside out, and then he falls into the moat and turns into a hydra. If this were Dungeon World, Willow rolled a six yes, or below. He <laughs> like he was casting magic. Normally it's what I do, because if he rolled a one, that would have happened to Willow. So <laughs> generally, I'm not that forgiving whenever we play. Yeah, if he'd rolled a one, that would have happened to him. However, if this is Dungeon World, we always fail forward, so it's complete mishap. He he rolled a six on that one, and yeah, bad things happen. We get the what is it called? The Ebersisk is what <laughs> they called it. George Lucas called it the Ebersisk in honor of Drew, Siskel and Ebert. I thought that was a <laughs> Swedish pancake. That, that too. So we do get a Star Wars moment where you get Val Kilmer's character running out with everybody else, and he's like in the middle of them looking around, and it's like, "Hey, wait, I'm I'm with the bad guys." <laughs> that was, that part was funny. <laughs> like I even that was a laugh out loud moment because even Sorcha is looking at him. At, at this point, she has no clue what this guy's problem is, why she is even attracted to him. But is, is he just a complete idiot? Or is it just bad luck or what? <laughs> Plus 10 charisma for sure. Does, there, there, yes. yep, there you go. But they do manage to escape that the scene because, well, Mad Morgan actually, you know, steps up, uh, steps up a notch. He kills the monster and that's like the heroic thing to do. He jumps on the back of the monster and like, rock, and then it explodes. <laughs> he, yeah, he goes full on Matthew McConaughey on that thing, but he doesn't get eaten. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he just jumps down and starts whacking at it. The head blows up. Like, just doesn't care about this crazy thing that just pops up out of the water. You know, this beast that we've never seen. Before. Okay, sure, why not? Go and get All it. All in a day's work. Uh, there you go. Yeah, but it adds to the character building, and also adds to so like Sorsha sees this and sees that all of the all of the troops, these like these troops that are supposed to be tough, rugged soldiers they're they're kind of running away in fear and then you see that one guy go up and he's charged you know right at it and i think she she admired that because that's a little bit of hers in that in that as well she that's why she admired it I mean, so. in their defense this thing spat fire and most of her <laughs> troops were running because they were on, on fire, fire. <laughs> or being eaten Yes, they, that the getting ripped apart, but the, that was smart too. You're just like one would like 
bite the top half of it, and the, the other head would grab the bottom and was like, yuck. <laughs> Lady and the Tramp. Oh, yeah. Noodles. <laughs> <laughs> this is act, act three. So beginning of it. So they have to have confrontation or they have to have a complication. So, of course, General Kale takes uh, the baby, Alora Dannon, and rides off. And r- he, he just rides. I mean, like he's right through everything. It's like, I don't care. I'm not going to stop. You know, I'm just going to ride next to the monster. He doesn't care. He's just going to keep riding through and he's going to get he's going to take her. Back to Bad Morda. Uh, bath water. Bath. bath <laughs> Bad Margaret. Bad Margaret. <laughs> Bad Margarita. I love the names in this. Oh, good. Mad Mardigan. It's very, <laughs> it's very like Lucas-esque too. They're like kind of naming the characters like Solo and hints at the character a little bit, you know? Yep. Very, very cool little subtle things. Uh, we do eventually get back to the castle of the queen, and the queen really gets to show her power against the army because at this point, Eric has now joined up with with Mad Mardigan. Sorsha is already switched sides at this point, and Willow, and of course the brownies. Can't forget the brownies. The brownies are like Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> But the the queen gets to reveal her power, and she she does again another another thing from mythology. Again, George Lucas drawing on the stuff that he knows, and he he turns them into pigs. He turns the entire army, except for Willow and uh, Rizel, uh, because she she tells Willow to use the words again to protect himself. So. He and her, well, she's already an animal, so it didn't really matter. So they're protected from the spell uh, as everyone else turns into pigs, including the brownies, which are just smaller pigs, which I thought was nice. I thought that was this cute. This scene scared me. The pig transformation was scary when I was a oh, kid. That was a wonderful, like, like, I complained about the Land of the Lost trolls, but this makeup, this that makeup, turning them into pigs... Was fantastic, and and it wasn't just a uh, a quick change. You know, they weren't just instant pigs. They they slowly turned. They started out with like Val Kilmer having uh, protruded teeth, and then he had a snout, and then you know, and then you could see a hoof instead of a, his hand, and other people in various forms of uh, different stages of transformation. Yeah, I can imagine a kid just finding this entirely spooky. So that that makeup was terrifying. I mean, it, one of the better on-screen transformations. You know, we've got, you know, of course, American Werewolf in London is, of course, top-notch pinnacle of on-screen transformation. But this one was just nuts because you've got a whole army, like hundreds of people, turning into pigs. So yeah, it looked painful. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really did. And I like how it started with the gut because if you practice magic. You know, all your power is in your, your solar plexus, it's in your gut. So if you're being affected by a magic spell, that's where it starts. So it's like it just hits just ha, the core of your being's being changed and transformed and you're riding around. Scary. Mm-hmm. But of course, the Willow is able to prevent himself from being transformed. And then he uses the magic and then we get to actually see morphing on screen. And he is able to transform uh, Finn Rizel back to her human form. She does realize that a lot of years have passed since then. She's, she was able to uh, then use the magic of the wand to restore everybody. And then they come up with an, a very wonderful plan 
to trick the armies. I thought it was a little bit too easy, but eh, it, it's 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 toward the end of the story where they essentially hide the entire army a la uh, Red Dawn <laughs> and uh, have two kind of people to lure out the army toward them. Like a reverse Trojan horse. Yeah, very much so. And they had a scene prior to that where it made it made it kind of sound like, I guess everyone's just, they can't do it, so they're going to leave, and they're just going to leave like a few people there, and that's going to be it. But in true Hollywood fashion, it was all a ploy to bring out the army, which, <laughs> silly, silly, silly. Let's open the gate. <laughs> let's or, uh, lower the drawbridge. Let's, let's send out our, our, our guys, and let's not close the portcullis behind us. <laughs> I love it. That's kind of almost Kale's overestimation because he's just like kill them. Kill them. I mean, he's re- he don't care who it is or what. He just yeah. he's about to say, you know kill them, and he's going to send an entire army out there to make sure it's done right. <laughs> but of course, uh, out of all of these like little holes in the ground, that uh, the army basically appears and they attack. And there's a, a pretty wonderful uh, choreographed uh, fight scene there, and they do make it into the castle, and then they have. The duel of the wizards. Uh, Geriatric cat fight. (laughs) (laughs) The fight between them was more of a battle of wits. Okay. More than anything, wits and power. Who had more power? Who had more wits about them to defeat the other? Gotcha. Uh, I I was uh, thinking back to the sword and the stone, you know, that old Disney cartoon. Uh, where they had that, that transformation, the wizard wizard duel where they would transform and, and stuff like that. I was thinking that it was kind of like a back-and-forth tennis thing only with magic. So it was kind of cool. Exactly. It was bouncing. It was like the ball ba- bouncing back and forth on a tennis match. Mm. Definitely. Uh, and uh, so uh, eventually, uh, as as you would expect, Bavmorda is able to overpower uh, uh, Finrazel. And so that leaves essentially her and Willow gives us basically a callback to his his uh, hidden pig trick or his uh, vanishing pig trick, and he performs that on Alora Dannon. And the the powerful wizard sorceress queen is shocked because she she can't believe that anyone anyone could possibly have the power to make the child of destiny like disappear to the point where she can't she can't reach her anywhere because you have to remember that in this film the only way that she could destroy her the Laura Dannon was through a ritual spell which she was ready to perform Willow didn't do that he just he he chanted the magic words and poof she disappeared and so Bathmorda was like no this is impossible and uh, he was able to use that distraction to to basically turn the tables and we we get the ending that we we have so her face <laughs> when willow made that baby disappear when she went <laughs> <laughs> kills me i'm like suck it and she's like what the crap i don't understand and she gets all clumsy and spills the magic blood gunk yep oh yes this is the ultimate just crossing your hands over your over your crush just yeah take that not only was bad marta 
surprised that Willow made the baby disappear. In my opinion, I think Willow was even surprised at his at himself that he could do it. <laughs> I mean, remember his magic trick back in the village? He couldn't even make the pig disappear. So I mean, I think I think I mean Willow was even surprised that it worked. Yeah, but mind, mind you, Alora Dannon didn't have the motivation to squeal like a pig and run away from him, so she was well, safely under I, the... Yeah, but I mean, I think I think Willow was even more shocked and surprised that... She was able to fool the, the queen? Exactly. Hey, whoa, I got away with this. <laughs> oh, I thought it was just great justice hers. I mean, this whole time Willow's wanted to be a wizard, he's wanting to be a sorcerer, learning all these spells and this magic, casting it causes pain. And how does he take her out by a simple carnival trick that he was doing at the beginning of the movie? I mean, it just, it, that's the schadenfreude that you want. Also, I love the fact when I had talked about like the magic earlier in this, Bav Morta is changing as she's casting, the, it's draining her. She starts the spell out and it's, you know, her just being normal, rancorous old cow. But then as it, progresses you can see her eyes are getting sunken in and her skin is getting sallow uh, more and more like the spell is actually draining her i'm wondering if those bowls if some of that wasn't her blood that mm. was also in there because that when she's so affected by it that she knocks the blood over you know that was part of the ritual the ritual's gone wrong but you can physically see her it is draining her something is siphoning her away because she's summoning it saying casting it to the 13th night and that she's casting whatever that ritual is she's casting the child to that darkness so it's almost like her spirit is part of that bridge and it's being siphoned until she tosses the baby in there whenever the ritual's over she is the one that gets sent to the 13th night and all of that is because Anelwyn did his little disappearing pig trick <laughs> Because we look at films like Little Old Ladies in a Book Club, one of the things that we like to do in our podcast is we like to play discussion games. It is an opportunity for us to look at the film in different ways that we might not be able to normally. For example, tonight's game is called Words, Words, Words. And what that game is, is I'll take a quote from the film, and what we did is we taken that quote and ran it through Google Translate a few times through different languages, and then we translated it back into English, and the resulting quote can be very similar to the original, or it can be radically different. And what I've done is I've kind of ranked from easiest to hardest for our guests, and they're going to have to guess what the quote is. Uh, I guarantee the first two they should be able to get. The last two, I'm not entirely sure they'll be able to figure out. But uh, the first uh, quote for Words, 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 what we did is we taken the quote and we translated it to from English to German to Italian to Vietnamese to Filipino and then back to English. And the resulting quote is, magic is the blood foe of the cosmos. Daniel, what do you think that quote is? It's something, I don't know the exact quote, it's something you, you Aldwin said. To, yeah, it is, it is Aldwin's quote. Uh, and um, uh, so uh, do you guys know the specific quote, guys? Uh, either one of you? Um, it's like magic is the something of the universe. That is correct. It is magic is the bloodstream of the universe. So very good, guys. You got it. You got it. It's okay. what's in this finger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this next one uh, I took from uh, French 
to Polish, to Spanish, to Japanese, and then back to English. This one, again, is fairly easy. It didn't actually take a lot of words out. Usually what happens is when the words cannot be translated, that's when it gets really difficult. Because when you switch from one language to the another and it can't translate or can't find a word, it just uses that word and it, it messes up as it goes along. So anyways, the resulting quote is, you're a great warrior and operateur. You're <laughs> 10 times bigger than me, dummy. <laughs> so what do you think the quote is, guys? Uh, we're going to start with Carrie. I'm not sure on that one. Okay. How about you, Angelique? It's, that's like uh, when they're in the um, the tall grass and he's like trying to get Mad Mortigan to, to escort him. With, what does he say? He's like, but you, but you are a great swordsman, not yep. to mention you're, you know, 10 times bigger than me, stupid. Exactly. That is exactly right. Uh, Daniel, I'm assuming you're going to say that after I said it was correct. <laughs> <laughs> that was about it. At first, when he's talking about the swordsman, I was thinking about that part in the snow yeah. when he says you really are a swordsman. But then yeah. when he said, yeah, but you're 10 times bigger than me, that's the part that I was thinking of, yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah, it, uh, the the actual quote is, you're a great warrior and a swordsman, and you're 10 times bigger than I am, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one is going to be tough. I, I took it I took it from English, and we, we translated it to Klingon, to Icelandic. <laughs> <laughs> to Estonian, <laughs> to Finnish, and then back to English. And the resulting quote is, I am your son, you, you six, oh! <laughs> it does nothing like the original. I'll, I'll, if you guys want me to repeat it back, I, I'll, I'll do that. Please. Please. Okay. Please. I, I am your son, you, you six, oh! <laughs> Angelique? <laughs> it's a tough one. Uh, oh. I think... Oh, oh it's Matt Morgan in the tent. It's in the tent. He's got the love potion. Um, oh, crap. Um, was it without, without you, my world is full of darkness or something like that? Or That's a good guess, but it is not that line. Believe it oh. or not. Oh, wow. dang. I was hoping that would be it. <laughs> how about you, Angelique? Or, uh, we already just did, Angelique. Uh, Daniel said he was hoping that... Uh, how about you, Carrie? I mean... I'm still thinking on this one. Okay, well, it's a, it's a tough one. Like I said, it has nothing to do with The only way that you could probably guess it is how I said it. The actual quote is, well, it stinks. This whole thing stinks. <laughs> it got translated to, I am your son, you, you, six, oh. <laughs> well, then. Yes. Yep. Never I would have guessed, guessed that one. I told <laughs> you you'd never. And this net last one, you positively, uh, I, I, if you guys guess it, I, I would be like, so I took it from English, and we translated it to Greek, Korean, Samoan, <laughs> Bulgarian, and then back to English. All right, but the, the resulting quote is, uh, take Tasia and Tatu, it's Mo. Tuma, I'm going to get a fat guy. <laughs> Mumbo, jumbo, jumbo give me an egg, I am I'm hungry, hungry. give me eggs. <laughs> that's a great one, but that's not it. Oh. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's actually spoken by Mad Mardigan, Val Kilmer's character. Uh, and Can you it, say it again? Yes. T uh, take Tasia and Tattoo. It's Mo. Tomei, I'm going to get a fat guy. 
sound like Charlie's speech when he was running for mayor and Sonny. <laughs> so do. So <laughs> do. It, it, it like, again, yes. doesn't have anything to do with it. So, so do. <laughs> take take Taser and Tattoo. It's Mo. <laughs> to my all, I'm going to get a fat guy. I just love how that translates. Is it? Did you see that? He stole our black root. Don't worry, we'll get some more. It's close. It's 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 in that scene. Oh. Val Kilmer says it. He says it about Alora. Where well, it puts hair on your chest. Put hair on your chest. That is it. Yeah, the line is. Well, my mama raised us on it. It's good for you. <laughs> it puts hair on your chest, right, Sticks? <laughs> that wow. line gets translated into that. <laughs> wow! And somehow wow. it turned into that. Libby, libby, wah. Yeah, because somewhere along the line. <laughs> Uh, one of the language, uh, one of the languages couldn't translate the other one, so it left you the think? words in. Yeah, so Tasia <laughs> and Tattoo and uh, Tumao is probably from the Samoan, <laughs> but it's the funny that the last part of it, where it puts hair on your chest, right sticks, gets translated to "I'm going to get a fat guy." <laughs> wow! I just no wonder we get. This reminds me of Mars Attacks whenever the dove flies and the Martians. Translate that into an act of war. <laughs> Ignore the bird. Follow the river. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so that was, of course, our discussion game. Words, words, words. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that game. It was it was a little bit weird, don't you think? I've been I've had weirder. Yeah. So that one and, was rough, though. It was rough. <laughs> What we do from time to time is we do have these games uh, available to our community, uh, depending on if we have time to set it up. And what we'll do is we'll have the people on our Facebook group uh, play along with us as well. And it's just a fun way to dive into the movies that we discuss. And it gives a, an opportunity for people that aren't on the show to be able to uh, have fun along with us. So uh, just join our Facebook group, which is the Film Jerks discussion group. And you should be able to ask uh, requests uh, to join our group, and then someone will eventually approve it. And then you should be able to uh, vote on whatever movies that we're going to discuss. You'll also see what movies that we have, other things that we're planning. Like we have a, a show called Trailer Jerks, uh, which uh, where we review film trailers instead of films. Uh, but anyways, uh, let's go to our final ratings of Willow. Uh, Angelique, do you want to, uh, to explain to everyone how we do our ratings? Certainly. Right, well, we have a pretty simple rating system here at Film Jerks. We have like it, which means you like the film, you're going to um, watch it, you recommend it, it's a good one. You've got lump it, which means, you know, toss this thing in the moat like a troll that's been turned inside out. Then... We nice. have, mm, maybe, which is you're kind of on the fence, you're not really sure, you're kind of confused, like Sorsha when Mad Mardigan starts to want to fight her when he was just spouting poetry. Mm. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Bowtie Jerk. All How right. How do you vote on Willow? <laughs> wow. When I was a kid, I, I loved this film. I would, I, I would say like it. But as an adult, I am more of a lumpet. I hate to say it, but I am a lumpet guy for this film because it was, I, I lost the magic. Uh, You're about to lose your podcast. I know, I know. 
No, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, how about how about this? We'll do our own it's maybe. A, okay? The insurrect is the great insurrection of 2019. The fandom menace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay. I mean, I, I you know, as much as you know, I've been bragging on this movie. There are things that didn't didn't really translate so well. That the technology, you know, we're used to everything being seamless. Certainly, that's not the case. But thinking oh, about no. it. When this movie was made, this thing was magic. Yeah, I, I would I definitely have to do that. Plus, uh, it's just as as a critic, p- parts of me w- I'm, I'm much more critical about films now uh, uh, for technical reasons. And yeah, I did spout out uh, like story, story and character. This thing tops, uh, but it just doesn't quite nail it for me in the special effects and some of the execution as well and it it lost a lot of the wow factor in it and so i hadn't watched it for maybe a decade even though i owned the film so that actually that should tell you something that the fact that i i bought the film i don't usually buy films anymore so the fact that i i remembered how good it was and that i bought it and just let it sit on my shelf (laughs) should tell you something Uh, maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna switch. Uh, this, this no, be, no, 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 you, no, 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 no. I won't switch. You lump it. I, 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 I <laughs> didn't really you a hard time. <laughs> no, no. I agree. No, it's I don't really hate it though. The the fact the just reminding me that the fact that I bought this film and left it on my shelf, it should tell me that like I don't buy films, uh, usually anymore. There there are I'll buy some classic films that I can't find anywhere, uh, but like the films that I grew up on, I just. I, I stream everything now. You know, I could just rent it and stream it. So I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to go the maybe on this one. Soft and, maybe. Uh, yeah, a soft maybe. <laughs> uh, well, no, maybe a, a solid maybe. Yeah, a solid maybe. Like down the middle. Because if you listen to the podcast, I was raving about a lot of things. The we I didn't really talk about a lot of the things that I didn't like. And... It's probably just me nitpicking and being super overly critical, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't do that to this film. Well, you're a critic. You're supposed to. I know, but uh, the the we're in a book club. We're not. We're not really reviewing this film <laughs> so either. One hell of a book club. We haven't even read the first book. All we do is talk about movies. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> we, uh, by the way, there are three books. If you guys want to continue the story of uh, Alora Dannon, she actually turns out to be quite a brat <laughs> when she grows up, and uh, she gets another prophecy that she has to fulfill that takes three books to to get <laughs> to get done. And uh, Willow, I don't think actually shows up in those books. There, there's another um, another hero that helps her out. So, but anyways, <clears throat> Angelique, I, I send it back to you because <laughs> I talk okay. too much. No, no, no! I wanted to hear what you had to say. <laughs> All right, um, Karate Jerk, Carrie, how do you vote on Willow? I vote a maybe. Um, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. It was an okay movie, I guess, to me. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Was it technical or story or just, you know? Don't say it's the story. Don't say the story or the character because I, uh, you know. (laughs) It wasn't really the story (laughs) or the character. I just think, you know, how movies are now and then going back to watching an older movie, things change. I mean, when you, you watch a movie when you were a kid and then watch it again when you're an adult, what you know, like even shows that you used to watch when you were a kid, 
things were so cool back then and then when you watch it now it's really i thought that was awesome when (laughs) with today's technological world and what they can do in films it's just like i said it didn't do a lot for me gotcha gotcha all right daniel is there any sir is there anything higher than love it um well i mean Star jammers or star slammers feet to the left. I yes. mean that's that's it. It's a, this is a full on panty shaking, love poetry spouting, redheaded Monday kind of movie. I mean this is just I love it. I loved it when I was a kid. I am a sucker for certain types. I mean, you could check the feed on all those Saturday morning cartoon intros I was throwing up there. <laughs> you just watch all of those sequentially, and you'll get a pretty good idea of what a film and how I rate movies and what informed my childhood. Now, this thing, I love the movie. I love high concept. I am not necessarily a stickler to look at the crap that I watch for my other podcast. I'm not necessarily a stickler for effects. I like them. And some movies to me have aged a lot better than other ones. I had always noticed the shoddy blue screen on this film. They're uh, the, whatever they call it, the chroma key matting or the composite when they bring in the brownies into, you know, normal shots. But I'm not going to complain about this because whenever I hear everybody screaming and raving of how Evil Dead 2 is such a wonderful movie, (laughs) when it has just this shitty composite work, if not worse, with all the little mini Bruces running around. So, I mean, I understand in this, I get the implied effect of what he of what they were doing and what they were trying to do. Did it age very well? Not really. And probably in subsequent viewings, even back in 1988 you would have seen the seams on this. Uh, it's just very unfortunate now in high definition. We can really see the seams in some of it. However, the effects the, the effects that work still work. They are still very solid. Mm-hmm. So the set pieces are fantastic. Wardrobe is incredible. The actors are fun. I mean, Willow just steals everything. It's like when you hear it chewing on the scenery. I mean... He is the scenery. He makes the movie. So, yeah, it's just, it's a love it. Yes, that's my nostalgia talking. Yes, that's eight-year-old me talking, but also the storyteller. I mean, look at the crap that we have to pick from now. And then I will still give you this movie and tell you that you're going to get a good story. If you're watching a movie for a good story, you're going to watch it. You're going to get a good story. So you pick this over Twilight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. You could say that it's pretty good. I tried to watch Twilight. But I got I'm through sorry. the first one. I, I tried. I got through the first one. I just couldn't take it. About time he started sparkling in the daylight. That and the fact that it's like, dang girl, would you smile a little bit? You're actually pretty. You know, just sm- anyway. That's Twilight. <laughs> Willow is the same thing with Sorcia. It's like smile a little bit. I mean, whoa. Put the sword down, please. But smile. It's cool. It's all right. Kale, skull face armor, Bavmorta with a spiky crown robe thing. I mean, come on. There's something for everyone in this movie. <laughs> no, I love it. At least watch it on Netflix. I mean, I'm not saying go out and buy it, <laughs> but it's definitely worth your time. There is no greater thief than a bad book. And the same thing applies to a movie. It's not as bad as a bad book, but. Bad, the bad movie, man. I mean, that's a two-hour thief. 
<laughs> I don't think you would be wasting your time if you watched this movie at least once. I forgot to mention um, that that Alora Dannon has a wonderful array of emotions that she emotes with her face throughout the entire movie. It's amazing. That I, was I a did talented enjoy that. baby. That she was, really was. Yeah. Except for the whole monster tattoo logo on her arm. <laughs> <laughs> I might change my vote now. I might love it now. I'm going to have to listen to Daniel wax poetic about it. I'm like, heck yeah, man. Yeah. No, I mean, you're the Val Kilmer of, of, the, of the show tonight. Haven't y'all learned by now not to ever listen to anything I say? <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to pick the nerdiest ones and just run off with it. And then this high minded stuff is like Apocalypse Now. And I'm going to sit there and make them be like, I'm going to make fun of it. <laughs> you're in good company. It's okay. Yeah, I'm going to change uh, my vote. I'm going to change my vote to love it now oh and also in the i read the i don't know if y'all read the trivia thing about this apparently when um burgle cut picks up alora dannon at the beginning and she pukes on him that was real real that sick yeah that was unscripted <laughs> oh no he played that scene very well yeah apparently the little papoose that alora dannon was in that willow had you know it's just being rocked back and forth so when burgle cut picks her up that was really her puking on him and that's why he's like oh oh take the baby take the baby <laughs> like that <laughs> oh gosh and i'm sure you all know my vote i i love it i like it you know however the song goes give me more yeah, <laughs> my underwear across the room somewhere. Willow's... Boob molded armor and Val Kilmer, yep. and I'm good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, thank you guys. It was a, a wonderful podcast that we had. Uh, let's take a brief moment to go over where we might find you online. Let's start out with our lipstick jerk. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, here on the uh, Film Jerks page. Um, you can also find me on all the gimmicks on the uh, podcast at Orgy Castle. I am now doing the book club at Orgy Castle <laughs> where I do reviews of Bizarro Smut. Oh my God, those <laughs> books, man. <laughs> <laughs> These next ones are going to be really fun. I've got some Abe Lincoln stuff going, and then after Abe Lincoln, I've got some dinosaur erotica that I'm going to read. So. <laughs> We do not want to Jesus miss that. Christ. We do not want to miss that. <laughs> no, no. So, so go to the All the Gimmicks page and subscribe to that. That we're also part of that family. Uh, so you'll find, you know, film jerks, trailer jerks, um, and everything in All the Gimmicks. And yeah. you'll also find me at the Night Keep. Yay! You know, I <laughs> live in a little hole under the stairs. And <laughs> <laughs> the people under the stairs. <laughs> No, it was crazy how we met. I had a, held up a handkerchief and said, does this smell like chloroform? Oh. And it w works every time. I mean, I like the smell of chloroform. <laughs> so clean. <laughs> you build up a tolerance, I think. <laughs> you know, anytime you need a nap, just sniff a hanky. <laughs> Nappy. Happy. <laughs> Daniel. Where can we find you? Um, well, you can find me on the Film Jerks podcast on the Face Group. I, had, I mean, like Angelique said, we're all just basically we're tag teaming and everything. I, it's any day now. I would not be surprised if I'm starting to review some obscure pulp smut or something. But I, I have to leave that to the professionals. 
that's Angelique. That's her expertise. I'm a leaver for that. Um, <laughs> if you listen to the Astro Radio Z, I do the bottom rack where I subject myself to movies that I find on the bottom shelf at Walmart or Amazon Prime, which that tends to be. Generally, I'll go to Walmart and see if it's on the bottom rack, and then I'll go on Amazon Prime and just watch it at home. Um, that way, yeah, that way I don't have to spend any hard money on it. Uh, I am with the Night Keep, and you can find that at nightkeep.com or just go to Bandcamp and look up Night Keep, and we got some stuff in the works. It's, of course, been real quiet there for a little bit, but it's, it's there's a lot going on in the background that hopefully in a few months is going to really start picking up. So, but yeah. And how about you, Carrie? Find me on Facebook as well as here on Trailer Jer- or here on Film Jerks and as well as Trailer Jerks. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, of course you can find me at the Bowtie Critic. Uh, just look up uh, Bowtie Critic. It's a new branding that I'm working on, so uh, hopefully I'll get some things transferred over from my old stuff. But uh, all my new content will eventually make its way toward that. And of course, if you guys want to be part of the discussion. Uh, feel free to join the Film Jerks at the Facebook group. Just go to uh, www.facebook.com slash groups slash Film Jerks. And then uh, what you can do is you can ask to be invited to the group. And then once we allow you in, it gives you the opportunity to suggest trailers that we should be looking at. It'll also give you the ability to vote on the films that we're going to be discussing. <laughs> All right, let's say, uh, let's say good night, everybody. Because good night, puts, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hair on your chest. Hair on your chest. It's going to get a fat guy. I can't believe it. Stole our black root. <laughs>